Al-Bayan Radio presents the following lesson from Masjid Al-Azhar, Bilmo. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. After last lesson's pretty much introduction to the way the Arab world was before the sending of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the way Arabia was during the time the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was sent to them. Today we move on to the actual life which is directly linked to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And pretty much the sunnah of the ulama, meaning the way and the path of the ulama, when they author in seerah, whether you are going through the lengthier books or whether you are going through the summarized texts, you see them begin with the lineage of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. And before we go into any details, we want to understand, brothers, that when it comes to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's lineage, he has the purest lineage that can ever be found. The Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has the most noble, the most pure, and the most honorable lineage. That's why Abu Sufyan, when he was a disbeliever, when he was a disbeliever, when he went to Asham with a caravan, a caravan back then, if you ever hear that, generally meaning a group of people, and he was summoned by the Byzantine Roman emperor, which was Heraclius. When Heraclius summoned these individuals and wanted to ask about Muhammad, Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam He asked who is the closest to him So Abu Sufyan said I am So Heraclius said bring him forward And the rest of the people that were with him That were with Abu Sufyan Heraclius commanded them to stand behind and stay behind So that they can let him know if Abu Sufyan Who was once again was a disbeliever at this time If he'd lie he informed those behind him from his friends and the likes to let him know that he is lying. And he was a very intelligent man, a very devout Christian. This is Heraclius speaking. So he began to ask Abu Sufyan certain questions. And mind you, Abu Sufyan could not lie because those who were behind him obviously would have let Heraclius know. Some people, they say, but what about if they lied with him in one, two, three? At the end of the day, they knew there would be consequences if they lied. Anyway, that's a whole different story. The point is that Abu Sufyan, he started to ask, sorry, Heraclius, he started to ask Abu Sufyan certain questions. So one of the questions that he asked him was, Kaifa nasabuhu fikum? How is his lineage amongst you? And does he come from a noble family? Does he come from an honorable lineage or not? So Abu Sufyan answered and he said, nasab. He comes from an honorable family amongst us. And then Heraclius, at the end of all of these questions, he told the translator, who was translating between him and Abu Sufyan, Heraclius told the translator to tell him why he asked those certain questions which he asked. We said Heraclius was a very wise and very smart man. He was intelligent. So he didn't just ask the questions that he asked randomly. Rather, he pinpointed and specified certain questions so that he could ask about Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam to see if he was really a prophet or not. To see if he was really a prophet or not. So he says at the end, I asked you. I asked you about his lineage amongst you. And you said he comes from an honorable family, an honorable lineage, a noble lineage. And then he says, That that is how each messenger and likewise prophet is also of course included in that. That is likewise how each messenger is sent amongst their people, meaning every single messenger was sent from noble lineages, was sent from honorable families. And of course, that's like the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he can, or he summarized for us a narration showing us how honorable his lineage was. He says, إِنَّ اللَّهَ اصْطَفَى مِنْ وَلَدِ إِبْرَاهِيمَ إِسْمَعِيلِ وَاصْطَفَى مِنْ إِسْمَعِيلَ بَنِ كِنَانَ وَاصْطَفَى مِنْ وَلَدِ إِسْمَعِيلِ بَنِ كَنَانَ وَاصْطَفَى مِنْ بَنِ كِنَانَةَ قُرَيْشَ وَاصْطَفَى مِنْ قُرَيْشٍ بَنِ هِشَامْ وَاصْطَفَانِ مِنْ بَنِ هِشَامْ He says, indeed Allah has chosen Ismail from the children of Abraham and he chose Banu Kinana from the children of Ismail and he chose Quraysh from the children or from Bani Kinana and he chose Banu Hashim from Quraysh and he chose me from Quraysh. Once again, showing us how honorable and noble his lineage are. And that word chose, chose is very important, brothers. It's more important than what a lot of people would think of it. That word that Allah chose me, this is against what some of the philosophers and those attributed to their manhaj and their madhab and the like say, that prophethood is something which can be gained by worshipping Allah. Or by secluding and worshipping and contemplating and one, two, three, you can reach a level of prophethood by yourself like that. And that is of course not the case. Rather the prophethood and the level of prophethood is something which is bestowed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah Azza wa Jal is the one that chooses as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He says, Allahu yastafi min al-malaikati rusulan wa min al-nas. It is Allah who chooses, who chooses messengers from the angels and likewise from mankind. And the concept of prophethood, as we said, is something that Allah Azza wa Jal gives to the slaves and not something that the slave can acquire by himself. Yes, there are those out there who say that if I worship Allah Azza wa Jal a certain amount, in certain ways that I could possibly reach the status and the level of prophethood. And wal-iyadhu billah, as some say, that we could reach a level higher than prophethood. And this is the opinion of some of the deviants who say that yes, we can possibly reach a level that is more beloved to Allah Azza wa Jal than prophethood. And of course, this is completely incorrect. We know that the prophets and messengers are the best people to walk on the face of this earth. Further explaining and describing how Allah Azza wa Jal chose him, the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he says, إِنَّ اللَّهَ نَظَرَ فِي قُلُوبِ الْعِبَادِ فَوَجَدَ قَلْبَ مُحَمَّدٍ خَيْرَ قُلُوبِ الْعِبَادِ فَاسْتَفَاهُ لِنَفْسِهِ فَابْتَعَثَهُ بِرِسَالَتِهِ ثُمَّ نَظَرَ فِي قُلُوبِ الْعِبَادِ بَعْدَ قَلْبِ مُحَمَّدٍ فَوَجَدَ قُلُوبَ أَصْحَابِهِ خَيْرَ قُلُوبِ الْعِبَادِ فَجَعَلَهُمْ مُزَرَاءَ نَبِيِّهِ The Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu ta'ala anhu, he is the one that says indeed, verily Allah looked at the hearts of the slaves. And he found that the heart of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is the best of hearts and was the best amongst them. So he chose him for himself and he sent him with his message. And then he looked into the hearts of the slaves after that and he found that the hearts of the companions were the best amongst them. So he chose them as ministers for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And moving on my brothers, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he says, that I was born of a legitimate marriage and I was not born of fornication. And the Prophet ﷺ further explains and he says, From the time of Adam ﷺ, until my parents gave birth to me, 
No fornication or jah of jahiliyyah affected me. And he once again explaining how his lineage was extremely pure. The lineage of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. His ancestors did not delve in any of this filthy, disgusting act whatsoever. And that's a separate ruling that we can take from these brothers. How when some of the ancestors, some of the lineage of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam were not Muslim. A separate ruling from a fiqhi perspective that we can extract from this is that if disbelievers get married according to their religion and then the husband and the wife come into Islam and they enter into Islam, they are not requested and they are not required to repeat the marriage contract. Is that clear brothers? If now a Christian man and a Christian woman they got married according to their book, according to their way, and it was a legitimate marriage according to them. Not the way we see today of boyfriend and girlfriend and living together and stuff, no. They legitimately got married. And then they enter Islam together, they are not required to repeat the marriage contract. As long as it was done legitimately according to their teachings. And secondly, as long as there is no Islamic reason to prevent that marriage. Meaning, for example... If a man and a woman come from Christianity and enter Islam, we said the default ruling is that they are not requested to repeat the marriage, nor are they requested to separate and divorce. But what about if we come to know that this man and this lady, they are siblings through breastfeeding. They got breastfed by the same lady. I don't know why somebody's looking like... <laughs> they got breastfed by the same lady. That makes them brother and sister through breastfeeding, which means they're not allowed to get married to each other. So here in this case, whether it's them or a Muslim, whether it's them or an actual Muslim couple, husband and wife, who got married according to Islamic teachings, if it is confirmed that a lady breastfed them both and now they are siblings through that breastfeeding, they must separate and they must split. Even if they have kids with each other, Everything like this. But the point is that what? The point is we said that if they come into Islam now, the Christian uh, husband and wife, for example, or the Jewish husband and wife who got married according to their teachings legitimately, they are not required to uh, uh, repeat that marriage contract. Now, why did I even mention that? Because, and this can be a whole separate point of the religion, us not dealing with it through emotion. The reason I mentioned that specifically, brothers, is because the mother and the father of the Prophet wasallam were not Muslim. They were not Muslim. They were disbelievers. And some people, when they hear of that, they ask, so does that mean, وَالْعِيَاذُ بِاللَّهِ The Prophet Muhammad wasallam was born illegitimately. So now we can understand, inshaAllah ta'ala, a little bit better, that no, because if the kids, the children are born, through a legitimate marriage, according even to the kafar, then they are legitimate children anyway. But the husband and the wife, or sorry, the mother and the father of the Prophet ﷺ not being Muslim, some people, because of their emotion running wild, and their emotions running wild, they don't want to say that. But my brothers and sisters, we need to understand that when it comes to Islam, there is no room for emotion. When it comes to Islam, we look at the texts. How can we run away from saying that and saying the opposite of that as some have done? 
when it is the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam himself who said that, or who implied that. The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, when it came to his own father, when a man came to him, and he said, "Ya Rasulullah, aina abi? Where is my father?" The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam eventually told him, "Finnar, he is in the hellfire." Yani, your father is in the hellfire. And then after this man walked off a little bit, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam wanted to ease his emotion. He wanted to ease his heart. So he called him and he said, Inna abi wa abaka finnar. Indeed, my father and your father are in the fire. The apparent of this narration is that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam just like he was talking about the man's biological father, he was likewise talking about his own biological father. Why I say that is because there are some and some ulama likewise who have tried to say that the word father in Arabic, the word abd, can come to mean uncle. And what the Prophet ﷺ meant was your father and my uncle are in the fire. But once again, there is no room for emotion in this field. And the apparent of the narration is the Prophet ﷺ saying, your father and my father are in the fire. As for the mother of the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet ﷺ, he says, I requested from Allah. I asked Allah, I requested from Allah that he allows me to visit the grave of my mother. So he allowed, Allah Azza wa Jal allowed. Then the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says, I requested from Allah that I seek forgiveness for her. That he allows me yani, to seek forgiveness and he did not allow. And we know that this is because you are not allowed to seek forgiveness for the disbeliever. And if the mother of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was a believer, then there would have been no prohibition to seek forgiveness for her. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Despite his mother and his father being on that state or in that state, it did not negate his love for them and his care for them and his emotion over them. Why I say that is because some brothers and sisters have a mentality that if a family member is not a Muslim, then they need to treat them with hardship or they need to treat them with disrespect. And that is, of course, not the case. Allah Azza wa Jal even commands us to treat the parents if they are non-Muslims the parents who call us to associate partners with Allah well, then what about the parents yani, who do not call us to that despite them being disbelievers? Another point, my brothers, is that it is Allah Azza wa Jal who guides the hearts. And this is something which is repeated often. But wallahi, it's something that is very important for every Muslim to understand. Sometimes, my brothers, it could be a family member who is a Muslim. You call them to pray. You call them to fast. You call them to do good deeds or leave off haram, but they don't listen. Wallahi, my brothers, that is not a problem with you. As long as you are going about the da'wah the right way, that is not a problem with you. Rather, it is a problem with them. And if Allah Azza wa Jal sees sincerity in them, then inshaAllah Ta'ala, He will guide them. But as I said, it is not a problem with you or your da'wah as long as you are doing it right. Ibrahim alayhi salam, amongst other prophets, Ibrahim alayhi salam with his father. His father, as we know, was not just any disbeliever. He was one of the worst at the time. And he even told Ibrahim alayhi salam, If you don't stop, I'm going to stone you. 
Yani I'm gonna stone you to death, subhanallah. And likewise, the son of Noah, alayhi salam. Does this mean that because they did not accept the core, that there was a problem with the da'wah of the messengers? Of course not. And this is why something which we have repeated hundreds of times is that the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam said that on the day of resurrection a prophet will come with and we know the hadith inshallah until he said that I saw a prophet with one or two followers and I saw a prophet with not a single follower. A prophet will come on the day of resurrection and not one follower would have followed him. Does that mean that the da'wah of the prophet was wrong? No. So take that as an advice or take that as a reminder. It is not about the numbers. Likewise, sometimes you might see a certain sheikh, a certain scholar, a certain brother giving lessons or giving whatever it is and the masajid being packed. Don't let that deceive you. The truth is not in numbers as the ulama say. The truth is not known by the numbers. The truth is not known by men. But rather men are known by the truth. The truth is not known by men, but rather men are known by the truth. So the son of Noah alayhi salam, he likewise was a disbeliever. As Allah azza wa jal, he mentions, Talking about the ship of Noah alayhi salam, Allah azza wa jal says what's translated as, so it, meaning the ship, it sailed with them amidst the waves like mountains. And this is after Nuh alayhi salam, he made the dua to Allah Azza, Azza wa Jal. قَالَ رَبِّ إِنِّي مَغْلُوبٌ فَانْتَصِرٌ Noah alayhi salam makes one dua to Allah Azza wa Jal. My brothers, look at what one sincere dua can do for you. He says, Oh my Lord, I have been overcome, overpowered, so help me. فَفَتَحْنَا أَبْوَابَ السَّمَاءِ بِمَاءٍ مُنْهَمِرٌ وَفَجَّرْنَا الْأَرْضَ عُيُونًا Allah says. From that one dua, just one supplication sincerely from Noah alayhi salam saying or asking Allah for help, Allah azza wa jal caused the rain to come down from the heavens. And he caused the water to rise from the earth. And subhanallah, all these waves of us as Allah describes it like mountains. So Noah alayhi salam in the ship with whoever he was with, the ship is sailing until Noah alayhi salam realizes his son is not on that ship. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he tells us, وَنَادَى نُوحٌ Just imagine that my brothers, the ship is sailing on mountains or water or waves like mountains and then Nuh alayhi salam calls his son as Allah says, وَنَادَى نُوحٌ And Nuh called out to his son. وَكَانَ فِي مَعْزِلٍ يَا بُنَيْ And he was يعني, in a certain uh, uh, isolated place. So Nuh alayhi salam, he said, Oh my son, اِرْكَبْ مَعَنَا أَوْ اِرْكَمْ مَعَنَا Embark upon the ship with us. وَلَا تَكُمْ مَعَ الْكَافِرِينَ And don't be with the disbelievers. And the son of Noah alayhi salam and his son or his father is a prophet. His father is a messenger. He said, I'm going to seek protection on top of a mountain. Subhanallah, it's going to protect me from the water. It's going to protect me from the waves. And then Nuh alayhi salam says to his son, 
There's no savior from the decree of Allah today except him on whom Allah has mercy. And then Allah Azza wa Jal makes mention, وَحَالَ بَيْنَهُمَ الْمَوْجِ فَكَانَ مِنَ الْمُغْرَقِينَ And then the wave came in between them and Noah alayhi salam, his son, was drowned. Drowned as a disbeliever. So all this is tied to what my brothers, the point that when you speak to some and you make clear the fact that the Prophet ﷺ, his parents were not Muslim. Some people out of emotion, they reject. To the extent some scholars actually tried to say that the Prophet's parents were resurrected after the Prophet's death and made to believe in him. But there is no proof for this whatsoever. There is no proof for this whatsoever. And the deen, as I said, is not a religion and is not a deen of emotion. Some of the scholars, they said that Allah Azza wa Jal, He caused a wave to go in between Noah alayhi salam and his son. Because despite, once again, Noah's son being a disbeliever, that natural love, that natural care, that natural affection that a father has for his son, Allah Azza wa Jal saved him. The sight of seeing his own son drown. Wallahu ta'ala a'la wa a'lam. And likewise, the wives of Nuh alayhi salam, so it wasn't enough that Nuh alayhi salam's son disbelieved. Likewise, the wife of Nuh, and likewise the wife of Lut alayhi salam. As Allah azza wa jal says, And indeed, Allah put forth an example for those who disbelieve in the wives of Noah and in the wives of Lut. And then Allah azza wa jal mentions how they were treacherous, treacherous to their husbands. But this treachery, as some have understood it, is not zina. For no, no prophet had any wife who committed fornication. Take that as a rule, my brothers. No prophet had any wife who committed fornication. As Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhum, he says, ما بغت Regarding these two wives, the wives of Nuh and the wives of Lut alayhim as-salam, Abdullah ibn Abbas makes it clear that the treachery which Allah Azza wa Jal is referring to was not the treachery of zina, of fornication, but rather it was the treachery of disbelief. And further information has been given to us by the great Mufassir, Al-Imam Al-Qurtubi rahimahullahu ta'ala, where he mentions that the wife of Nuh alayhi salam, she would go around saying that Noah is a madman, he's crazy. And the wife of Lut alayhi salam, she would go around guiding and leading these sick and filthy individuals who do the action, the sick and filthy action. She would go and guide them to Lut alayhi salam's guests so that they could try to do that action with them. And this is the treachery which Allah azza wa jal is referring to. Wallahu ta'ala a'la wa a'lam. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's lineage, as we said brothers, the lineage was extremely pure, even though of course there was, as we mentioned, some disbelief in that lineage. And we say that, as some once again have misunderstood, we don't say that, وَلَعْيَاذُ billah Out of degradation or out of insulting. The one that insults the lineage of the prophets, any prophet is a disbeliever. But rather we only state that out of facts and to benefit from the information, inshaAllah ta'ala. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Brothers, when it comes to his lineage and his ancestors, the lineage was known all the way to someone called Adnan. The lineage was known all the way to someone 
called Adnan. Some of the scholars, they tried to link after Adnan, that which is in between Adnan and Ibrahim alayhi salam. But that chain does not or is not free from any questioning. Then after that, some of the scholars even went further than that, and they tried to link that, was that which is in between Ibrahim alayhi salam all the way up to our father Adam alayhi salam. And definitely that chain is not free of questioning as well. Meaning some weakness and the likes. Wallahu ta'ala a'la wa a'lam. But as for the chain from the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam up to Adnan, then that is authentic insha'Allah ta'ala. And some of the scholars, they said, my brothers, that it is enough. This is important as well. That it is enough insha'Allah ta'ala to know the name Muhammad. Because as you all know that the three questions in the graves, one of those questions would be regarding the Prophet and the man that was sent to us. So how much do we need to know of his name? Do we need to go up all the way to Adnan? Do we just need to know his father and grandfather's name? What do we need to know? So we can be able to answer this question in the grave. Some of the ulama, they mentioned that it is sufficient to know the name Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And wallahi brothers, you will be shocked if you see the state of some people overseas and the ignorance that they are in. Just go make a quick YouTube search about people reciting Surat Al-Fatiha, for example, in some areas of Egypt, in some areas of Africa. And wallahi, you will be shocked what you will see. Likewise, go and make a search of some people being questioned from same and similar areas about who is your prophet and you will see some answers of some people who attribute themselves to Islam as being Musa alayhi salam. Wallahi, a shocking sight. This is why we say that knowledge is light, subhanAllah. So all you need to know inshaAllah ta'ala is Muhammad is the name of the man that was sent to us. But of course, we are here, insha'Allah ta'ala, to learn a little bit more than that. The father of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, his name was Abdullah. What was his father's name? Abdul Muttalib. Khalas, you started, yeah? Did you say that? Okay, very good. You didn't say that. Did you say that? If you, uh, you said that, khalas, what was his father's name then? <laughs> Muhammad ibn Abdullah, khalas, whether you said it or not, we'll let you off, insha'Allah. Does anyone want to keep the chain going, brothers? Has anyone memorized two Adnan? Yalla khair insha'Allah ta'ala. So Muhammad and his father's name was Abdullah, and his father's name was Abdul Muttalib, and his father's name was Hisham, and his father's name was Abd Manaf, and then the chain goes. So I'll save a bit of the time insha'Allah ta'ala. The chain goes all the way to, as we said, an individual by the name of Adnan. Now, there's pretty much a story of almost, or regarding almost every single individual of that chain. But insha'Allah ta'ala, what I wanted to focus on today is the story of one individual, and that is the grandfather of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Abdul Muttalib. And Abdul Muttalib was a figure who holds a great status even in Islam, although the correct opinion, of course, is he did not accept Islam. And Allah azza wa jal knows best. There is a bit of a dispute amongst the scholars, but wallahu ta'ala a'la wa a'lam, he did not accept Islam. And some of the scholars, they said he did. The point is that whether he did or he did not, no doubt that he has certain occurrences in his life that we'd like to stop with very quickly. One of them is regarding the well of Zamzam, and the second one is the story 
which happened between generally he was involved and also Abraha as we know and the destruction of the Kaaba. When Abraha and his army moved to destroy the actual Kaaba with the elephants as we know the story of the elephants as some brothers they know it as. And insha'Allah ta'ala that one specifically we will leave to the next lesson alongside speaking about insha'Allah ta'ala the birth of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And today we will speak about the digging of the well of Zamzam. After the well of Zamzam came into existence, my brothers, after Jibreel alayhi salam came, and obviously Hajar was there, and her son Ismail alayhi salam, and Jibreel alayhi salam struck the earth with his heel, and as some scholars they said with his wing, as we know the well of Zamzam came. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he said, because Hajar, she collected the water in almost a basin structure, wallahu a'lam, so that it does not keep gushing and the likes. And that is why the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he said, may Allah have mercy on the mother of Ismail, yani Hajar, who was the wife of Ibrahim alayhi salam, of course, may Allah have mercy on the mother of Ismail. If she had left the water of Zamzam as it is, yani without gathering it, without uh, blocking it so that it doesn't go everywhere. If she had left it as it is, it would have been a flowing stream which would never have dried. Now there was a tribe by the name of Jurhum. And Jurhum was an ancient Arab tribe. They had come to Hajar radiallahu ta'ala anha and they asked her, can we settle here? Now they found the water and the likes and she accepted. And the story of course is much greater than that. But insha'Allah ta'ala that can be taken in something like the stories of the prophets. So she said, yes, you can settle here to this tribe of Jurhum who we said was an ancient Arab tribe, but she said that the rights to the well of Zamzam are not yours. You can't take over this well, Yani. The point is many, many years later, after what some ulama they said, after Jurhum's uh, yani, uh, residency in that place, and then they ended up oppressing, they ended up transgressing, and they ended up committing tyranny and the likes, they were actually exiled from the area. They were exiled from Mecca. So some of the scholars, they said that as they were exiled, they hid the well of Zamzam. They hid the well of Zamzam. Why? So that nobody can benefit from them. You know that mentality, brothers, pretty much that if I can't do it, if I can't use it, no one's using it. Ah, this Obviously, we should not have this mentality. But yani, especially amongst the Arabs, which we spoke about last fortnight, and we said their mentality, a lot of them had these kind of mentalities. And they were thick-skinned, if you'd like to say. And some of them were stubborn, for example, and the likes. And you even see it today, brothers, huh? You see some yani, certain nationalities or certain people, yani, generally, maybe it was due to certain upbringings or whatever. They're very stubborn, yani, naturally, subhanAllah. The point is, this tribe of Jurhum were exiled from Mecca. After having resided there for many years, because of what they done, because of what their own hands put forth, as they were being exiled and pretty much kicked out, they hid the well of Zamzam so that no one else can benefit from that. Now after the well being hidden for many, many years, nobody knowing where it, where it was, nobody knowing where to dig for it, it was as if it wasn't even there. So how did the well of Zamzam come back into play? How did the well of Zamzam how was it found again? Abdul Muttalib, who we said was the grandfather of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, 
as Al-Bayhaqi, rahimahullah ta'ala, collects, he had a dream where a person comes to him in the dream, as he says, Abdul Muttalib himself, Atani Atin. Someone came to me in my dream and they told me, dig in this certain, and they mentioned a name. So he asked, what is that? And the location and extra information was not given. Then the next day, he had the same dream, but telling or someone told him a different name. Once again, no location. The next day, he had another dream to dig. Getting told, dig here. What is that? No information. The fourth day, Abdul Muttalib had the dream. And then it was told to him, Uhfur Zamzam, dig Zamzam. And then after some time, the location was shown to him. And then now he went to go dig. He asked about Zamzam. He got a lengthy answer about what Zamzam is. And then he went to go dig with his son, Al-Harith ibn Abdul Muttalib. And he had no other son other than him. This was his only son. So he dug it up and then he realized what it was. When he realized what it was and he said, Allahu Akbar, Quraysh came. And Quraysh said, said that this is the well of our father Ismail. And what are they trying to get to brothers? They want a piece of it. They want some rights to that well. Who dug it up? Abdul Muttalib and his son Al-Harith. Now Quraysh, they want some of that. So they said, this is the well of our father Ismail and we have a right to that well. Abdul Muttalib said no. Then after that he said, let us go to a certain person to judge between us. And on the way something happened, which Quraysh after this, after seeing this, they accepted that it was a sign from Allah Azza wa Jal, that the well is entitled or entrusted to Abdul Muttalib. And it also been narrated that Quraysh, when Abdul Muttalib wanted to dig the well with his son Al-Harith, they stopped him. Why? One of the reasons was because this well was near two of their idols. And they did not want to disturb these idols. Remember how we spoke about last fortnight, brothers? We said how much they used to venerate these idols. How much they used to respect and honor the idols. So they didn't want to disturb them. So it's been mentioned that because of that, they stopped Ismail and his son from digging. And after this altercation with Quraysh, Abdul Muttalib continued to dig. But he realized now he needs a bit more support. So he made a vow to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that if Allah azza wa jal blesses him with ten sons, he is going to sacrifice the last one. He's going to sacrifice his last son. And Allah azza wa jal did bless him with ten sons. And the ten sons were Al-Harith. These are the ten sons that he had. Al-Harith being the first. Al-Zubayr. Abu Lahab. What's Abu Lahab's name, brothers? Huh? No, oh, there's a bit of a difference, Yani. But uh, the main one, our opinion that they say is uh, Abdul Uzza. Abdul Uzza. And that's why yani, he was known as Abu Lahab after the story tour. Anyway, inshallah, when we get to some stories of Abu Lahab, we'll inshallah further expand on that. Also, Al-Muqawwam and Dirar and Abu Talib and Hajjal and some scholars, they said Jahl and Abdullah, which was the father of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and Hamza, as we all know, the uncle. Obviously, they're all uncles of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and Al-Abbas, and Al-Abbas. 
And some of the scholars, they said that the father of the Prophet ﷺ was the youngest, but the correct opinion is that he was not the youngest of them, and rather it was Al-Abbas who was the youngest of the ten sons. Uh, so generally speaking now, he was meant to sacrifice one of these sons. Which one was it going to be? That is inshallah what which we'll find out soon. But before that, Abdul Muttalib also had six daughters. Safiyah, Um Hakim, Atika, Umayma, Arwa, and also Barra. So now he gathered all the boys together and he told them of his vow. And every single one of them accepted and they said, fulfill your vow. So which one does he sacrifice now and which one does he slaughter now from the ten? He commanded them all to get arrows and write their names on these arrows. And then he entered upon one of the idols, Hubal. And Hubal has a background to it alongside all the other idols. And inshallah when it comes to that we'll discuss that. So Hubal was an idol almost in the middle of the Kaaba. So he went, Abdul Muttalib gave the arrows, the ten. They call them the divination arrows. Uh, to the guardian of the idol and he commanded that a name was drawn so he can sacrifice and Abdullah which was the father of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam he was said to be the most beloved to Abdul Muttalib and it came on Abdullah's name so fulfilling the vow he took Abdullah with a razor and he went to go sacrifice his beloved son and as we said brothers the Arabs they had some traits that they would not leave and some of them were righteous. Some of them meaning were good. Like if they made a vow, their word was their word. That's it. They would fulfill. They would fulfill their vow. Like this instance right now when Abdul Muttalib wanted to go and sacrifice his beloved son Abdullah. So he goes and then everyone tries to start stopping him. From his sisters and Abu Talib and his brothers and his uncles from Bani Makhzum, and other than them, they tried to stop him. So he said, what do I do? I made a vow to sacrifice one of my sons, and now his name got drawn, I have to sacrifice him. So they agreed to go to a female fortune teller or sorcerer, and they explained the situation to her, and then she said, go and get the name, or go and get Abdullah, and go and get 10 camels, and then draw lots, and a few things happened, until it comes to the camels, and then whatever number it ends up on, whatever number it ends up on, that is the amount of camels you sacrifice. So he ended up continuing to do that, until the, it kept going on the name of Abdullah, the name of Abdullah, the name of Abdullah, <coughs> until it ended up on the camels, and then he ended up trying again just to make sure, twice or thrice, and then he ended up with the number 100. So they would continue, he would continue to draw, until it would land on the camels. Slowly, slowly, they kept adding 10. Every time it would land on the camels, they would add 10 camels to be sacrificed. Until it reached the number 100, and he ended up being commanded to sacrifice 100 camels, so he does not have to sacrifice his son. And as the Prophet ﷺ mentions, or as it comes in the Athar, that because of that, or that is one of the reasons that now, that is the blood money. <coughs> If someone goes and kills someone else and the family of the killed person does not want the eye for the eye, part of the expiation is to pay the blood money. And the blood money is of course 100 camels. And there's a lot of speech regarding that, inshaAllah ta'ala, that can be taken 
uh, in, in certain fiqh yani, texts. Now here, the second occurrence which we said was the story of Abraha. We said we'll leave that for next week insha'Allah ta'ala. But the point here brothers is that the story <coughs> of Zamzam, Abdul Muttalib as you can see was tightly affiliated with that story. And his family were eventually those who took, took care of Zamzam and used to feed and give drink to the pilgrims and the likes. And insha'Allah ta'ala will end brothers with just some of the virtues of Zamzam. Zamzam water as Ibn al-Qayyim he says. And this is very important especially with a lot of the brothers and also sisters going to Hajj, going to Umrah and the likes. We always hear of Zamzam water. So let us see some of its virtues insha'Allah. Ibn al-Qayyim he says Zamzam water is the best and the noblest of all the waters. It is the highest in status, the dearest to the people, the most precious and valuable to them. It was dug by Jibril. And it is the water with which Allah Azza wa Jal quenched the thirst of Ismail. From the narrations which came regarding Zamzam, is as the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he says that Zamzam ta'amu tu'min wa shifa'u suqm. That Zamzam, it is a food which nourishes. And in some narrations it's mentioned, also the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said, it is a cure for sickness. And the Prophet referred to it as being blessed water. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said, Ma'u zamzam lima That the water of Zamzam is for that which, which it is drunk for. That is why some of the ulama they mentioned, and some of the ulama said it is, it is a narration of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and there could be some weakness to it, that if someone drinks it whilst intending to be cured, Allah will cure him. And if someone drinks it whilst intending to be filled, Allah will fill him up. Yani, to get full and the likes. And there are many, many benefits, both scientifically proven and proven by the Sharia and mentioned by our scholars for the water of Zamzam. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he says, the difference between the believers and the hypocrites is the drinking of one's fill of Zamzam. Yani one of the signs of the believers and one of the things that differentiates us from the hypocrites is drinking a lot of the zamzam water and filling oneself up with it. Because when zamzam water comes straight directly, straight away from that well, it tastes very different to the way that we drink it and we see it and buy it in the shops and the likes. Some of the ulama even likened it to the way the milk is coming straight from the udder of certain animals. And it's got a pretty salty taste and the likes. So some of the ulama even mentioned it could be that Allah Azza wa Jal made it like that. So that when someone drinks it, they remember that drinking the water of Zamzam is an act of worship. And drinking one's fill of Zamzam is an act of worship and is something which separates us and differentiates us from the hypocrites. And wallahu a'lam, that could be why Allah Azza wa Jal did not make it sweet. And we'll see also, brothers, and I'll end with this insha'Allah ta'ala, we'll see also in the story of Abu Dhar when he became a Muslim. Insha'Allah ta'ala, we'll be going obviously through some of the Islam of some of the companions and how they became Muslim and the likes. Abu Dhar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he actually lived off water or the water of Zamzam for a month and over. So much so that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said to Abu Dhar, when he saw him having stayed around the Kaaba for a month, he said to him, how long have you been here for? 
Why was he there for a month? That's something, inshallah, we can see in the future. He said to him, how long have you been here for? So Abu Dhar said, 30 days and 30 nights. Yani a month. The Prophet said, who has been feeding you? Who's been giving you food? So Abu Dhar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he said, I've had nothing except zamzam. And he further explains and he says, and I have gotten so fat because of the zamzam water, I have gotten so fat that I have folds on my stomach and I do not feel any tiredness or weakness of hunger and I have not become thin. Yani someone might think, so he's been living of zamzam water for a month, he's probably become a stick. No. And this is misdaqan, yani this is subhanallah just further emphasis backing up what the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said. That zamzam is a food that nourishes. He described that as a food. And what happened to Abu Dhar of him becoming fatter, putting on weight, so much so the folds were evident, is further emphasis to that. And inshallah ta'ala brothers, in our next lesson, we'll be discussing certain aspects relating to the story, as we said of Abraha, and him and his army going forward, marching forward to try and destroy the, or to destroy the Kaaba and Abdul Muttalib's relationship to that. And likewise, insha'Allah ta'ala, we'll be discussing the birth of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And then we really start to get into certain aspects of what happened and occurrences which happened in the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. The seerah brothers requires a lot of patience, wallahi. A lot of patience. And insha'Allah ta'ala, if we can finish this in about two, three or four years, يعني, I will be content. As I said, it's not meant to be an advanced explanation where we'll be going through literally every single name, every single occurrence. But insha'Allah ta'ala from the next lesson onwards will be the most important parts of the seerah. And especially those parts which have to do with our day-to-day lives. Wallahu a'la wa a'lam. Wa salli allahumma wa sallim wa barik madin wa ala ali muhammad. كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته. This program was presented by Al Bayan Radio, the voice of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jamaa.